Hey, welcome to our podcast. I'm Yoni Kurtz. I'm Maral Tashveen. I'm Jackson Wallace. And we're going to be talking a little bit about CRISPR technology. Jackson, you want to tell us a little bit about what CRISPR is? So CRISPR is a genome editing tool that is used today to alter the DNA sequences of different uh, humans, basically to help enhance them or fix certain problems that they may have. Right. So some of the impacts of that we were, we were thinking about in uh, there's a you know research paper written by Robert Sparrow from Monash University, where he sort of talks about uh, this impact he calls yesterday's child effect, where as CRISPR technology improves over time, uh, people who, who've been edited slowly become obsolete as new, uh, new children are edited with these you know, genetic enhancements. Yeah, so we're really excited to take you through a day in the life of our version of yesterday's child, Chris Pratt, and examine how his experience as a genetically modified individual can affect his personal and professional life. We hope you enjoy. Hey, Dan, how you doing? Hey, Chris. Another long day at the office. Just a professor at Columbia, Chris P. Rat. You know me. Yep, yep. Sorry, Chris, but I have to tell you, they are, they're cutting people. They're, they're letting me go? Why? Uh, everyone's not genetically modified has to go. What does that mean? I'm, I'm, I've been genetically modified. I'm, I'm not enough? You're not up to date. Not to date. What about the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act of 2008? I thought that was supposed to protect me from things like this. Come on, Chris. The government stopped regulating CRISPR a long time ago. After an appalling day at work, Chris Pratt, almost in tears, comes home. And now we're going to take you through a little extract of what yesterday's child's family life looks like. I'm home. How was work? Honestly, it kind of sucked. Yeah, I saw the news. I saw the news. The Leonard professors go there not modified. You saw that? Dang it. I mean, who does that to someone? Who lets someone go? Who treats them poorly just because they have less genetic modifications than someone else? That's exactly what you do me, Dad. I'm not as good as my brother. Because you're less genetically modified? It's not like I had anything to do with that. It's just technology. This was all you. You chose the genes for me. You chose everything. I'm inferior to my younger brother because of you. So now we're gonna zoom out a little and talk a bit about what just happened in these two extracts. All right, so we just had that first scene, um, just to refresh for the listeners, right? It was a workforce scene, was it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so what, what went down exactly there? So basically, Chris Pratt, who's a science teacher at Columbia University, had a talk with his friend and colleague about how, because he's an older version of a genetically modified individual, he's going to be let go because he doesn't have the newer genes. Yeah, exactly. I feel as if, unless you're genetically modified up to date, you will not be getting jobs in the new world of CRISPR. Pretty scary, no? Definitely. Especially considering the legislation and how that doesn't work to combat effectively genetic discrimination in the workforce. Right. But I guess I guess that is the way if you are scared to sort of make an impact, sort of push for this legislation, sort of regulation to, to be impacted more on uh, Yeshe's child. So thinking a bit about the social impacts that CRISPR can have on families and family life, it was really interesting to look at how difficult it is to combat the powerful emotional effects that can occur on children who are genetically modified. If you think about it, the older you get, you surpass your parents and your family because you're definitely more genetically modified than them. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think there was a there was a point made about 
you know, what's more valuable for people? Like, is it, do people psychologically enjoy the feeling of being superior to others more than they hate the feeling of being inferior to others? Because, right, like pretty much everyone in the society will either be genetically at least superior to someone older than them and inferior to people younger than them. The study I mentioned earlier sort of concludes, at least theoretically, that people actually don't like being inferior more than they like being superior. And so the way those psychological impacts play out, I think can be really interesting too. Thanks for listening. Yoni, you want to read us out? Sure. So, hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Hope you enjoyed. If you want to avoid becoming genetically obsolescent, make sure to check out some of the resources we have below, including the research paper I mentioned a few times on the podcast. We'll uh, be sure to, to have some more conversations with your family and friends about CRISPR if this really scares you. Thanks for listening. It's your host, Barb Tester, and welcome back to another episode of 5-Minute Reviews, where we review new products before they are released to the public. We are so excited to kick off the new year, 2089, with a special new product, ReDNA Change Yourself for the Better. As you all know, it's been hard for people with genetic disorders to get jobs ever since the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act, which prohibited the use of genetic information in making employment decisions, was repealed. People are no longer hired for jobs due to a failure to pass a genetic disease screening process. With ReDNA, you can rewrite yourself. The easy-to-use injection of genetically modified DNA can make you a super version of yourself. Here to talk more about it is Dr. Flush Casper. How were you guys able to make ReDNA a reality? The key to this product really goes to the CRISPR-Cas9 protein that was, that was discovered way back in 2012. The protein was found in bacterial cells. Viruses attack the genetic code of the bacteria, and when the bacteria survives the attack, the bacteria saves the DNA of the virus in a DNA archive called CRISPR. The Cas9 protein then uses the DNA stored in CRISPR to locate other viruses by cross-checking with the desired DNA sequence and then cutting the problematic DNA in order to kill the virus. The cross-checking done by the protein is very precise. In 2020, scientists develop a way to program CRISPR-Cas9 proteins to cut specific DNA of their choosing. Since then, many labs have been working on safe ways to use CRISPR to help cure diseases and genetically modify humans. The injection method was finally finalized last week and we are ready to bring it to the people. How would this product work? People would send in a saliva sample. We would analyze their DNA in the lab to see what genetic disorders they have. Then we would create a personalized shot of all the CRISPR proteins needed to remove the parts of DNA that code for these disorders. Tell us more about the DNA samples. How do you guys know what DNA has a disease? DNA is made of repeating nucleotides. Nucleotides are made of phosphoric acid, a sugar, and one of four bases. The different combination of the bases code for specific traits a person has. When we search DNA for mutations, we use computers that compare sample DNA to the human reference genome, which shows the correct pairing of the bases and look for specific base sequences that code for diseases. As mentioned in clinical genetic testing for patients with autism spectrum disorders, a scientific study published in 2010, a method called chromosome microarray analysis, or CMA, is the most effective way to detect some diseases. In the study, it was found that this method, when compared to other techniques such as karyotyping, was, st- was statistically significantly best at detecting genetic deletions and duplications that accounted for autism in patients. Fascinating. That's all the time we have for Dr. Flush Casper. Be sure to attend her Zoom office hours if you have any questions. We have a special guest here today to talk about his experience using ReDNA. Welcome, Captain America. What did ReDNA do for you? Thank you. I wanted to enlist in the Army and fight for my country, but my genetic test showed that I wasn't fit to be a soldier, so I was turned down. 
but then I found ReDNA. I'm so much healthier now and my susceptibility to disease has diminished. Wow, how inspiring. And can you speak more about what you see in the future for ReDNA? I truly believe that ReDNA can bring out our best selves and improve the state of mankind. Imagine genetic modifications imposed before birth. If ReDNA can be utilized to produce flawless genomes in babies, everyone could be their perfect selves from the beginning. I wouldn't have suffered from being a weak child, nor have been rejected from my initial enlistment in the army. I know some still struggle to find jobs, rejected after genetic defects were discovered, and ReDNA will solve this. I hope everyone has the chance for this life-changing experience, and that this technology spreads to all corners of the world. Great. Thank you, Captain America. Now, that's a convincing story to try out ReDNA for yourselves, for sure. We've got one more guest, the Hulk, who is here to talk about his experiences with the genetic modification of ReDNA. Thank you so much for having me here. I will be dropping a bombshell. I can say wholeheartedly that this is the worst decision I've ever made. Wow, I'm sure the viewers are also shocked by this revelation. Can you talk more about why you don't recommend the ReDNA procedure? When I was hit with massive amounts of gamma radiation, my DNA was genetically modified, and now I turn into this green monster when I'm uncontrollably mad. There are always unintended consequences for these types of procedures. What do you mean by unintended consequences? CRISPR creates mutations in other intended places of your genome, leading to mutation changes that you didn't consent to and didn't expect to have. These off-target modifications are random and can lead to catastrophic changes in your genome that could make it even impossible for you to get a job. Well, that's all the time we have for you, but thank you so much for showing us the negative side of genetic modification. There you have it, folks. Will you buy ReDNA? If you have any other questions, be sure to go to the Captain America and Hulk meet and greet next Friday at 5 p.m. at the Sky Hotel on the Nebulex Club. That's it, and see you guys next week. Whoa, this place is really nice. I told you. What exactly do they serve again? Vaccines. That sounds a bit intimidating. I know once you learn how they work. See, the purpose of vaccine is to help your body be prepared in case of a pathogen, like a bacteria or a virus attacks it. But don't you get injected with some form of the disease? That's the magic of it. A vaccine contains a weaker or dirt version of a pathogen or something that resembles it. When your immune system interacts with the vaccine, it produces antibodies, which are proteins that neutralize or identify pathogens so the rest of the body can fight them. Your immune system then stores this process in memory cells, like instructions. That way, when a pathogen actually infects you, your body knows exactly how to fight it. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. I'm feeling much safer. Well, just in time, because here comes our waiter. Salut! Bienvenue à Maison Vaccin. Thank you. Thank you. You, I recognize you. You've been here before, right? Yeah, I was here earlier this year for my COVID vaccine search. Ah, well, what can I bring you today, monsieur? Your usual? No, it's not time for my booster just yet. I'm actually here because I'm a little worried about flu season. Do you have anything for that? You've come to the right place. Allow me to recommend a live attenuated vaccine. Um, how does that work? Uh, the live attenuated vaccine contains a live but weakened version of the pathogen. Because the pathogen is actually live and interacting, antibodies are constantly working, which gives the body ample time to produce memory cells. The live attenuated pathogen is also as close as it gets to the real version, so if you get infected, your body will have had enough practice and will yield an excellent immune response. Usually, our customers order the MMR, rotavirus, tuberculosis, or influenza vaccine. That sounds really good. 
I'd like something like that, but I'm pregnant, and I remember my doctor recommending no live attenuated vaccines. But of course, madame, we also have an inactivated vaccine, which works essentially the same, except it contains a dead version of the pathogen instead of a live one. That way, your immune system still has exposure to the pathogen and can prepare for it. This is the type of customer's order for typhoid, hepatitis A, polio, and also influenza. Hmm, is it weaker than the live attenuated vaccine? That should not be a worry. Both are incredibly effective. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I remember a study from a few years ago in the New England Journal of Medicine. I think I know which one you're talking about. Influenza vaccine effectiveness in the United States during the 2015-2016 season? Ah, we get this question a lot. We are concerned because this article concludes the live attenuated vaccine was not as effective in protecting children aged 2 to 17 from the flu as compared to the inactivated vaccine. As I was telling Madame not to worry, the study concluded that both types are effective against influenza across all ages. You can be well assured that either will protect you just as well against infection. Okay, I'll have the inactivated flu vaccine then. Nice, I'll also have the flu vaccine, but life attenuated, please. Wonderful. And for you, sir? Could you tell me about the specials? But of course. The newest addition to our menu is the mRNA vaccine, which contains messenger RNA, a type of RNA needed to produce proteins. These proteins serve as intruders, which try to invade cells. The proteins produced by the mRNA are the same as those present in the virus, which is how the immune system is able to recognize it. The intruder proteins cause cells to build antibodies, which once built can recognize the virus, attach to it, and label it to get destroyed, thus preventing infection. Most of our customers are ordering this right now, since the Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna COVID-19 vaccines are mRNA vaccines. Great. I'll take either one of your COVID-19 vaccines then. Splendid. So just to make sure, I have one mRNA COVID-19 vaccine and two flu vaccines, one live attenuated and the other inactivated, correct? Great, I'll bring you dishes straight away. That was great. I wish we could come more often, if only I weren't so far from Colombia. Actually, we're opening a new location there at Lerner Hall. We'll be serving flu vaccines and COVID booster shots, and you can schedule a reservation using the Columbia Health Portal. That sounds great. We'll be sure to stop by. And you, dear listener, what will you be having? Don't think too hard about it. With vaccines, you can be sure they all work. Welcome back to Get High on Life, Not on Drugs, where we go around the world finding renowned doctors to go to different high schools and talk about drugs. Today's episode we are talking specifically about the drug meth. And as usual, if you have any questions or comments about today's episode or other topics you just want us to discuss, send them our way through our website, wedolifenotdrugs.org. Please enjoy. Hi class, my name is Dr. Terblanche, and here are my colleagues, Dr. Rockefeller, Dr. Abel, and Dr. Who. Hi everyone, today we are going to discuss the ways drugs affect our body. Drugs can have many different effects on your body, physically and mentally, and short-term and long-term. 
Addictive drugs can affect you by altering your mood and behavior by stimulating your brain and can alter your brain circuitry, causing dependence on the drug. Some keywords here are long-term potentiation and neuroplasticity. Your brain is made up of cells called neurons, and your brain can change and adapt its structure and function as a response to different stimuli and experiences, and this is how addiction can happen. Oh, I heard my mom yelling at my older brother for doing meth the other day. What's meth? Is it a drug? Well, that's a great question. Methamphetamine, often referred to as meth, is an incredibly addictive drug that affects the central nervous system. In fact, as recently as 2017, 1.6 million Americans recorded using meth, meaning it is still quite prevalent despite significant decreases in its usage. So, like, what would happen if I took meth? Well, on the surface, you would experience very intense feelings of euphoria and many obsessive behaviors. Methamphetamine use releases very high levels of the neurotransmitter dopamine, which basically teaches the brain to repeat the pleasurable activity of taking the drug, and as an important feature of most addictive drugs. Methamphetamine can also cause a variety of cardiovascular problems, such as rapid heart rate, irregular heartbeat, and increased blood pressure. The effects of the drug dissipate long before the drug leaves the bloodstream. This results in many overdoses because users will often dose again before the drug has fully left their system because they no longer feel its effects. And would you believe it? Dr. Rockefeller's good friends Volkow et al. recently conducted a study regarding the molecular effects of meth on the brain. Thank you, Dr. Hugh. This study was conducted in 2006. It hypothesized that people who took high doses of methamphetamine would develop changes in their brain function specifically related to long-term changes in dopamine receptors, which Dr. Abel discussed, in comparison to a control group which has never taken methamphetamine. The study had a sample of 16 methamphetamine users and 18 controls. The researchers used brain imaging technology to help understand the brain's activity that occurred, specifically using positron emission tomography, which looks at blood flow in the brain when the participants take part in different activities, such as finger tapping, for example, looking at the dominant hand versus non-dominant. The results from the study showed there were differences in VMAT2 binding in the striatum, which is a membrane-embedded protein that transports monomer neurotransmitters within the methamphetamine group who had 10 to 11% lower levels. In addition, dopamine transporters' ability to bind had also decreased by 12 to 16% for the methamphetamine group in all regions of the striatum. Yet, the study didn't show enough evidence in support of their hypothesis but there is still enough evidence through other preclinical studies that methamphetamine does cause long-term changes in dopamine receptors. Okay, but why should I care about meth? I don't ever plan on taking drugs. Meth addiction is very serious. There are no medications approved for the treatment of relapses of methamphetamine addiction. Even if you don't plan on ever doing drugs, it is important to know their impacts on our bodies. These lessons certainly apply to other addictive drugs in life. Don't buy into the glamorization of serious drug use like in shows such as Breaking Bad. The show's popularity has led to significant increases in drug use across Europe, according to the European Monitoring Center for Drugs and Drug Addiction. The consequences of addictive drugs use are severe for both users and their families. In other words, don't do drugs, kids. Do, 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 do. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope you learned a lot about the impact drugs have on the molecular level. I sure did. If you enjoyed our podcast, you can listen to more from Season 1, Get High on Life, Not on Drugs, proudly presented by the National Drug Anti-Media Campaign, or you can visit our website to find out more. 
don't do drugs. Have you ever been drinking tap water and stopped to think about where it came from, what could actually be in it, and how it could be affecting you? Welcome to the first episode of Medicating Our Water. Today, we will address those questions and more, exploring a crucial problem that most are ignorant to, the presence of both pharmaceuticals and illicit drugs in bodies of water around the world, and how this harms both wildlife and humans. My name is Brian Cosman, and I'm a representative of Project Thirst, a nonprofit organization battling water contamination. First up, we have Dr. William Deep from the United States Geological Survey, who will give you a sense of the magnitude and cause of this issue. Hello, Mr. Deep. Could you please introduce yourself for our listeners? Thank you, Brian. Yes, my name is Dr. William Deep, and I'm a representative from the USGS, an agency that monitors our landscape and natural resources. Just to start off, I feel like many people don't know that drugs can actually be found in our water. According to a study conducted by the USGS from, 20, from 2004 to 2009, drugs ranging from antibiotics to caffeine were found in water streams as far as 30 kilometers over 32 football fields away from the drug production sites they were made in. Furthermore, a study from 2006 tells us that there were reports of unusual levels of antibiotics used for livestock across five different testing sites along the river in Northern Carolina. Northern in Colorado. So yes, it truly is a water crisis going on. More people should know about it. Wow, this is crazy. Is this just happening in the U.S. or all around the world? Good question. This problem is actually occurring in so many different countries. In Spain, for instance, a study from 2004 tested the water content nearby four water treatment plants in Selville, and the results showed that there were high levels of five different drugs across all four plants. Additionally, in South Africa, a study published in 2020 found that there were unsafe levels of heroin found in two water supplies in Johannesburg. So yes, water pollution is rampant everywhere, and the data proves that we need to address it immediately. Thank you, Dr. Deep, for zooming into this literal horror show. With that, I'm humbled to introduce our next guest, who is a scientist studying the impact of drugs in water and animals and wildlife. Please welcome Dr. Mugwe. Can you introduce yourself to the audience? Hi, Brian. I'm Dr. Mugwe, and I'm an ecologist at Columbia University. So we've heard that our water is heavily polluted with drugs. Does this have any impact on the ecosystem? From what we found, it's been having a profound impact on the ecosystem. Many drugs we take have similar effects on other animals as well. For example, some antidepressants can make the person taking them bolder. When fish that are prey become bolder, they take more risks and are more likely to be caught by a predator. An abundance of drugs in the water could even cause a population collapse among prey. Wow, this sounds awful. It gets worse. When prey consume these drugs, they essentially become swimming pills for the predators to consume. These drugs then affect the predator, changing their behavior as well. This can cause the entire ecosystem to change. Do these drugs have any effect on the health of these animals? Since many of these drugs are dissolved in the water, aquatic animals can often consume multiple at a time and suffer from a bad reaction from mixing the drugs. Also, a study published in 2012 found that cocaine in water does significant primary DNA damage in zebra mussels. Thank you for inf informing us on this issue. While we know that drugs in the water can cause significant damage to the ecosystem, how does this problem affect humans? We will now be talking to Bella Berman, a journalist for the Press Associated, who has spent her career tirelessly working to inform the world accurately about water contamination. Hello, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I truly believe that drug contaminated water is one of the most overlooked but dangerous health risks facing future generations. You said future generations? Is this not a present concern? Well, I do not want to cause panic. Recently, the US Geological Survey report showed that the concentrations of pharmaceuticals in US drinking water are lower than prescribed doses, and so in the short term, safe. Scientists investigating the tap water in Spain also concluded that although eight psychoactive drugs were found in the tap water, including cocaine, caffeine, and methamphetamine, it is not currently a human health risk. They point to similar results across Europe. Great, so why should we still be worried about this issue? 
Well, firstly, these studies have only explored the impact of each drug in isolation. No studies have yet analyzed the impact of the mixture. We also only know the effect of the contaminated water on healthy adults. But what about the effect on kids, on sensitive populations? There are definitely gaps in research. And there are some communities that may be in danger in the very near future. For example, researcher Dr. Masamola showed that in some South Africa water sources, heroin was at a high enough toxicity to pose a health risk for the community. Is this a problem getting resolved? No, in fact, it's getting worse. Filtration systems are not getting improved. Meanwhile, the amount of drugs in our water sources are increasing internationally. If we don't address this now, it will start posing a human health risk. Thank you so much to our incredible guest speakers today on this special episode. If you heard something from today's episode that ignited a passion in you, or you just want to learn more, follow Project Thirst on our social medias. We post regularly about the water crisis going on in many countries around the world. Second, if you want to take action, join our water advocacy group to monitor and conserve water. Before we close out, we just wanted to let you know that our next podcast episode will be released on Sunday, where we will interview several people from the water conservation movement about how you can protect yourself and others against contaminated water at home. Until next time, stay safe, drink water, and save the planet. Have you ever eaten McDonald's and thought, I'm not loving it. You've been to Chick-fil-A and said, I don't want to eat more chicken. Not to worry. We have the beets and other vegetable things. You can eat your fast food fill at our brand new vegan restaurant. Go, Go green with, with lettuce eat. We have a variety of options. Steamed tofu, fried tofu, grilled tofu, barbecue tofu, baked tofu, for drinks, we have our special tofu oat milkshakes. If you don't want to die early, you have to eat at our vegan restaurant. But why? There's a lower mortality rate for vegans. If you don't believe us, look at the science. In the study Meat Intake and Mortality, the science Rashmi Sinha and her colleagues wanted to see if increased meat consumption, whether white, red, or processed, would increase total cancer and cardiovascular disease mortality. What did they find? We were getting there. They had a very large participant pool with over 600,000 people. Wow, that's a lot of people! Yes, kiddo, exactly. They filled out an initial baseline food frequency questionnaire to understand their meat and other nutrition eating habits. They analyzed the questionnaires of over 70,000 people who died in the 10 years after the first questionnaire to see if these deaths and their relative times were associated with meat consumption patterns. But how did they know if deaths were due to meat consumption? What about other habits, like smoking? We were just getting there. The researchers also took into consideration different factors, for example smoking, and considered these factors while doing statistical analysis so that those factors didn't interfere with the results. Through analysis of the data, the researchers found that red and processed meat moderately increased total cancer and cardiovascular mortality. Since there's no meat on our menu, you don't have to worry about any of these things you can enjoy our special Tofu Taco Tuesday without worrying about heart attacks or cancer. Mmm, I'm still not convinced. Let's look at things on a molecular and bacterial level. In the study, a vegan or vegetarian diet substantially alters the human colonic fecal microbiota, Dr. Jasmine Zimmer and her colleagues found differences in the stool pH and microbiome of vegans, vegetarians, and meat eaters. What the does that mean? pH is a measure of how acidic or basic a substance is, and it's measured from a scale of 0 to 14. Lemon juice is acidic, so it has a low pH. 
Soap, on the other hand, has a high pH since it's basic. Water, which is neutral, has a pH of 7. As for the microbiome, it's all the bacteria that live in a specific area. The fecal microbiome in the experiment, for example, is all the bacteria that live in human stool. No, no, I already knew all that. I mean, what is a vegan or a vegetarian? Oh, that's what you meant. A vegan diet excludes all meat and animal products, while a vegetarian diet only excludes meat, but not animal products like milk or cheese. Both vegans and vegetarians are welcome at Lettuce The researchers found that the species of fecal bacteria in vegan participants vastly differed from meat-eating study participants, with vegetarians sharing microbiome characteristics with both groups. This means that a vegan diet can actually change the species that populate your gut. They also found that the stool pH of both vegans and vegetarians were significantly lower than control groups, meaning that a plant-based diet actually changes the chemical and molecular composition of your gut microbiome. For the ladies, women tend to have a higher stool pH than men. The researchers indicated that a plant-based diet can be especially beneficial for women because their naturally higher pH level can be balanced out by these modifications. Our Wednesday Ladies' Night Special is Spicy Sriracha Tofu Lentil Soup. Perfect for you and your stool pH to get down. If you want to see our other options or make a reservation, call 1-800-GO-GREEN. That is 1-800-464-7336. 1-800-GO-GREEN. Eat your greens! Side effects of eating at a restaurant may result in acute tofu sickness, tote bag carrying syndrome, going to the farmer's market disorder, whole foods and Trader Joe's addiction, nausea, vomiting, turning green, and possibly death.